The number one thing to keep in mind is there is always room for negotiation. Hello and welcome to The Ilm. I'm your host, Aisha Alim, and The Ilm is a podcast that celebrates knowledge. Because the more we know about people, places, issues, we're richer for it. And why is this important? How are we richer for it? Because the more information we have, we're less fearful of what's different from us. Knowledge helps us learn what makes people different and distinct, but also so much like us and the people we love. This episode is part of an effort to create a handy resource on topics I've often found people struggling to find useful information about. This is episode two of an entire season about and dedicated to women. Today we're talking about women and work. How do you manage your money? How important is it for women to save? What about investing money? What do women need to know? And negotiating salaries, this is such a big one. And yes, the experts are going to tell you how to negotiate like a boss. A huge shout out and a massive thank you to two former classmates, Henna Mehta and Divya Narayan, who spoke to me for this episode. Henna graduated from UPenn, worked with Goldman Sachs in New York, and recently got an MBA from Wharton. She's now founded her own company in India called Basis, where she's building a financial investment platform. And she also founded and leads the Bangalore chapter of Lean In, made popular by Facebook Sheryl Sandberg, to help empower women as they advance in their careers. Divya attended the London School of Economics and has worked with companies like Deutsche Bank and the Boston Consulting Group. She also has an MBA from Wharton and is currently Director of Strategy at Lego in London. Divya shared 10 things her corporate career has taught her. We start today's episode speaking to Henna. This is episode two, Women and Work, I'm Aisha Alim. Welcome to The Elm. How important uh, would you say that it is for women to understand savings or why is it important for women to understand the importance of saving and how do they get started? Yeah, so um, it's important for for several reasons, right? Um, we all are not going to work for our entire life, right? Like there's this quote from Warren Buffett that I really like. It says, if you don't figure out a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die, right? And so um, I'm guessing most of us don't plan on working till we die. It's important to... Um, to kind of create a second source of income that'll um, you know see us through retirement or even even other life goals that we may have. So I know your question was around savings, but I think savings without investing is sort of pointless. Women outlive men. On average, we live. Um, I think the number is probably around three to four years more than, let's say, our husbands, right? And so uh, chances are we're going to outlive our husbands and our fathers, and you know all these sort of important male um, uh, male members of our sort of support ecosystem. And it's important that we kind of own our own financial destiny. 
But you can imagine when you go into a bank on average and you talk to someone in customer care and ask them about what investment options uh, are available and suddenly you're like avalanched with all these names and numbers and all these concepts that you have no idea where to start. It can be so confusing, so daunting. So if someone wants to get started uh, in investment if women want to get started investment particularly um what are some things to keep in mind or how do they do it where do they start yes i think the starting point has to be awareness right like people need to understand that this is an important part of their life right like similar to how we go to the gym or we go on certain diets for like physical health or we meditate or do yoga for like mental wellness right like financial wellness should be a very like staple routine part of our lives. I think getting or building that awareness is key. The question that I I bet a lot of women want to ask, how do we negotiate better salaries? It's um, always an awkward conversation, no matter uh, who the company is that we're uh, interviewing for or who we're talking to, whether it's HR or the direct line manager that we're going to be reporting to. We're not asking for money that isn't due to us, but whenever women are being interviewed for a new position, um, I've heard it from several different women that having that conversation about money is super awkward. So what are some things to keep in mind when they're doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I went through this this struggle myself in the earlier years. I think the number one thing to keep in mind is there is always room for negotiation. Step two is to to go in very prepared, right? You need to have an idea of what you're worth, right? Um, you need to back it up with some kind of data or research. You could look up market salaries for your job profile. You could talk to other people, like have that data because that's going to be what you use to negotiate versus just saying, I want more money or I want a better title or whatever you're negotiating on. So have back everything up with something that um, so that it's just a stronger sort of point you're making. And yeah, and I think lastly, try to do, uh, try to make sure it's, it's a win-win, right? Like it's, most people sort of approach negotiations to to make sure like they win the deal or they win whatever that's being negotiated. But I think in in most situations, it's important to make sure both parties leave that discussion feeling like they've won because that's going to be more, more, a more of a fruitful sort of relationship going forward. And I'm assuming with an employer, it is, it is long-term. And so understand where they're coming from and sort of try to put your points across. But yes, never, never sell yourself short because taking on some compensation that's lower or a title that, you know, you're not exactly happy about will have repercussions you know, throughout your career, because it sets you at a different, different scale, a different bar. And I guess that will have an effect on every subsequent job or career move you make. You said that there's always room for negotiation. Um, Just out of curiosity, would you recommend asking the employer to give you a number first? Or do you say a number first? So I think whoever says the number first is at a disadvantage in a negotiation, right? Um, it's because a, a lot of the power that comes in a negotiated discussion or negotiation comes from um, information asymmetry, right? Like I know something you don't, or you may know something I don't. And so 
Um, you know, I think of it as, yeah, I have like this, you know, set of cards and am I going to show all my cards to, to, the, uh, to the, the other party in the negotiations? I think whoever kind of shows that card first is actually at a disadvantage. Um, although in India, I know sort of employers or new employers ask, um, ask the candidate for their current compensation or what they expect to make which um, for me coming from the US was, was extremely surprising because you're essentially asking that person to tell you what they're, in, and I guess in a negotiation term is BATNA, right? A best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So they're asking you to, they're basically asking you to tell them what your, what your target price is. What were some of the challenges you faced in the corporate world, whether specifically as a woman or not? And um, how did you get around them? How did you navigate them? Challenges, I think both internal and external, right? Like internally, I went through like periods of self-doubt, right? Like, was I good enough for the job? Was I doing a good job? Um, you know, how, I, and I would, you know, be gunning for a promotion, but would always doubt how well I was doing, even though I had great performance reviews and great relationships with my managers and colleagues. Um, I think self-doubt can can really pull pull you back. And it's all just in your head, right? No one's telling you, you're bad or inadequate or not able to do do something. And I, I think that happened to me early on. And then, you know, mentors, motivational talks, kind of just trying to understand how people operate helped me overcome that. I still go through it, go through it every day uh, to some, some degree, but I've sort of learned to, to manage that better. Um, externally, yes, I've, I've been mansplained too. I've been manterrupted with. Um, and even with those, though, I think my initial um, sort of reaction or my reflex would be to start defending myself. And so I would actually tell some men in a discussion to let me finish or just say I was, yeah, wasn't done talking or I was still making a point or things like that. But even with that, I've realized two things. One is um, you have to pick your battles. So you, you can't fight everything if you you know, if you literally try to put out every fire, you will get burnt out. And secondly, it's way more effective if you have an ally in those discussions, right? It's way more effective. And I think some research backs this up to um, where someone on your behalf or helps you or someone who helps you amplify your voice and say, hey, I don't think she was done with her point. Or I think she just made this point, you know, a few minutes ago or whatever it may be. And that that kind of hits the other person less versus when you do it yourself. Mm. And I know, I know I said two things, but there's also a, a third thing with, um, there's always a time and place to, to kind of try to fight these biases, right? Like not everyone likes to be called out in a large meeting, right? Um, people like to be, you know, people are more receptive to this kind of feedback in a different setting. Uh, or more in a more one-on-one -on -one setting or, you know, and when they're in a better mood and they're not stressed. Hena also says that practicing negotiations is likely to make you better. So before you go into an interview the next time, try having a mock conversation with a family member or friend. Now we'll hear from Divya, who's on a call from London. So these are kind of reflections that I've had uh, having worked in a few different industries over the last 10 years, both in the UK and in the US. Uh, and hopefully some of them are things that you can relate to um, if you've grown up in India or if you've had um, experiences working in different companies, especially as a woman in a workplace. So here's my take on the top things that I've learned over the last decade. 
To start off with, I think the most important thing that stuck with me is having an opinion. Always make sure that you have an opinion and voice it. For me personally, growing up in India, I often felt like we were told to not back answer. Do you ever remember being told to stand outside your classroom? I had to do that on multiple occasions. So it's really making sure you're always conscious of what you think on a particular topic and not being afraid to start practicing using it. It gets easier when you do that both personally and professionally. The second point I'd say is find a mentor at work and someone that you can trust um, and where you can actively net nurture the relationship. Such relationships are pretty organic, but if a senior person in your workplace can vouch for you, the path going forward is just a lot easier, trust me. The third thing is around cultivating friendships at work. Um, what I mean by that is it's well and good to have your circle of friends outside of work and family and friends outside work is super important in general. But what I have seen when I look around at my career path is when I've had those really good friends at work, a lot of the issues and the day-to-day -day struggles that you might find at work can be dismissed pretty quickly. So sometimes you just need a friendly ear who understands the context to move on pretty quickly. And I think if I look at places that I've stayed longer, it's probably because I've had a good group of work friends. So seek out that coffee or that extra lunch just to make sure you make time for those work relationships. Be organized. I can't stress this enough. I'm personally not much of an organized person. And when I travel on holiday, I'm known to be very, very laid back and kind of a go with the floor traveler. That just doesn't work at um, a professional organization. You have to be organized in terms of having a to-do list, having a plan for the week. Uh, and it may feel forced and it may feel like a little bit of effort, but trust me, once you get that effort on the way, um, the rest of it can fall into place pretty quickly. And I think the more senior you get when your calendar starts to expl uh, explode, I think the easier it becomes to manage if you're organized. Find time for the people and things you love. Um, I've talked about this at the workplace where it's important to have work relationships that are not purely professional, but also make sure you have time to do these things outside of work that can recharge you. For me, this can be as simple as a long run in the park. Um, nothing kind of recharges my mind and body quite like a long run. Um, and I, most people have their own way to de-stress um, and to reconnect with themselves, and I encourage you to find that and make time for it actively. The sixth one is pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Try that new project, a secondment, or an internship. The more varied your experience is, the more you're able to make connections across different topics and connections that others can't quite make in the room. And it makes it easier to get comfortable with change. I feel like we're all working in an environment where change is almost the only factor that's constant. So the more you can practice trying it out, the better. Seven is quite close to my heart, actually. Be kind to yourself. I think growing up in a competitive country like India, we all tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to hit targets and achieve career success. The more I progressed in my career, the more I realized that most factors are out of my control. The capabilities of the team that you're managing, the wider market factors, the changing needs of your customers. Realize that all you can do is ask for your best and the rest is really nothing that you can control. That feeling of letting go is actually super helpful. Um, easier said than done, of course, but it's something that I'm actively trying to do. Always have both a short-term and a long-term plan. It's good to know where you're going in the next month, in the next year, and what you want to achieve immediately, but make sure you're positioning yourself to where you want to be in five years. 
I think very often you can lose sight of what ha what's going to happen in the longer term and you suddenly find yourself, you know, in a senior role in the company or at in, and you think back saying, do I even want to be here? So don't end up in a situation where you've taken a fork in the road unintentionally, but plan that a little bit more proactively, whether that's through talking to mentors, talking to friends and families, um, make sure you have that conversation and it's not just buried away in the back. Career is a marathon, not a sprint. And what I mean that by that is we're going to be working for a long time. Unfortunately, this is true. I feel like in our generation, both men and women have every right and work equally in terms of a dual career household, and that's going to continue. Take the time out when you can and when you feel like you need a bit of a recharge in life, whether that's a trip, an impromptu travel trip, or pursuing an MBA or a master's to learn something about a topic you're interested in, yoga camp, it can be anything. But there's absolutely nothing wrong in taking six to 12 months off. Uh, I know, again, in India, there's a bit of stigma. No, oh, you just graduated. Why aren't you straight into your first job? There is no rush. We're going to be working for a long time. So I think people should let go of that fallacy. And you almost come out stronger with a little bit of a break. And my last thing is keep an open mind. A lot of companies, and especially now ha having joined Lego, where I can see such unique skill sets in very, very different functional areas, whether that's marketing, corporate functions, strategy, there's a really dedicated bunch of people that have a lot of expertise in very niche areas. Find time to learn about what they're doing. Enhance your own knowledge base. Uh, and keep an open mind to learning. I, I don't think it's the learning curve ever stops. It may transition from kind of hard skills if you develop early on to more soft skills, but there's always something to learn. Um, I always read about the stat that the average CEO reads like 60 books in a year or something like that. It, it seems trivial, but when you put that and quantify it, it actually is a committed effort to stay in touch with knowledge and make sure that your curve never plateaus. 